0: The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: Chris Justice is your guy. John skulls always uh, here doing the easy work. Chris, answering your questions, you want to reach out anytime, uh, it is really easy. Help at employmentlawyer.ca or simply employmentlawyer.ca. You'll find some contact information there, more information. And there's pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We talk about that because it covers on the website clearly and plainly Easy to navigate all the situations and topics we discuss on the show, and you'll have access to that severance calculator as well. PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. Rights often overlooked by employees. Chris, number two, the right to your same job once you return from a leave. Now, I know there's a couple different ones. There's medical leaves. There's also um, you know uh, disability leave in that regard, and also maternity paternity leave. Break that down for me, Bill.
2: Yeah, so so regardless of what the leave is, pretty much uh, your employer is going to have uh, the legal, uh, I guess, uh, obligation to have you be given the same job or something very similar, mm-hmm. uh, same duties, same pay that you had before you took the leave. And as an employee, you're going to have that right to that. And this, uh, as I say, applies, you know, for a number of different types of leaves and ultimately it goes back to the employer's duty to accommodate their employees, so if an employer doesn't want to accommodate the employee, um, there are some limited exceptions where that may simply not be possible, and it's not a matter of the employer sort of thinking, you know, this is a bit of an inconvenience or burden and and whatnot. Um, There are scenarios where Employers can show it would either cause undue hardship, uh, or, or there's just literally no way they can do it. Very rare scenarios, but there are some. But having said that, for the vast majority of cases, I find myself coming across—you um, know—it's often more a situation of the employer, um, you know, maybe having someone replaced while they're off on a leave, preferring the replacement over them, or maybe some changes happening within the organization, and now they've they've told the person you know that's looking to come back oh, you know, your job's been made redundant or whatnot, but we're trying to find another job for you. And that's not really acceptable. You know, employers, even if they're acting in good faith, um, are still obligated, if possible, um, if at all possible, really, to, to give that person their job back or something similar. And if you're going to tell somebody who's on a leave looking to come back that, you know, the position's been eliminated or whatnot, maybe there was a decision made from the powers that be, it's not gonna necessarily insulate or protect you from uh, opening up a big can of worms there. Because where employers are seen as failing in their duty to accommodate, um, or even 1% of the reason for someone not being able to come back may have to do or has to do with the leave or taking the leave or maybe a disability or, or the pregnancy status, what have you, then as I say, there's a big can of worms that gets opened there, the employer fails in their duty to accommodate, you then you know loop in human rights violations potentially so the the individual who's you know being subjected to all this not only can look at it from a human rights perspective but you know they would also have an argument to say that this is not what they signed up for that you know they're ready willing and able to come back with the doctor's support and they're just not being given their job back and then that can result in them going through a constructive dismissal type arrangement where they have the ability to essentially leave in a scenario like that and, and go after their employer for their full severance, which we mentioned just before the break being upwards of 24 months. So employers have to be careful when it comes to these things. They have to understand that even if they aren't specifically targeting somebody who's on a leave or engaging in you know, serious bad faith conduct, um, that they can still do things internal to the company that result in that person no longer having a job to come back to and that that can still be, uh, you know, a very serious problem.
1: Is there a difference in between, I mean, giving them their job when they come back, say say a medical leave or disability leave, mm-hmm. they come back, they have, is it is it not to the fact that they have to have age, preferably their own exact job when they come back, but did, the, does the employer have a little bit of wiggle room as far as, you know, your job has either been taken or eliminated. We'll find something else versus the maternity leave. Does it not have to be coming back from parental leave, the same job you left? Unless, of course, the company's gone or the whole department's been let go. Is that is that reasonably yeah. accurate?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. There are some differences, of course, when it comes to, to sort of looking at things like a, a medical-related leave and a, and a paternity to maternity leave. Um, you know, there, there may be some... Uh, modifications that need to be made. If if someone's coming back from a medical leave of absence, um, the employee may not even be able to perform the job as they once did, but there may still be situations where they can do maybe 80 or 90 percent of it and and that extra 10 or 20 percent needs to be accommodated, needs to be maybe picked up by another individual, maybe it involves heavy lifting or something and that was a minor (laughs) part of the job, but you still have these situations where employers say, well if you can't do all of your job, literally 100% of your job, if you can only do 90% of your job, uh, that's not good enough. We're just going to wait until you eventually come to us with your doctor's support and say, okay, now he's got or she's got full clearance. That that may or may not happen, um, but, but that's also not an excuse for the employer to sort of just leave that person in limbo when they're otherwise ready, willing, and able to come to work. Um. Uh. To to sort of come back in that sense, but but no, you are right. There are some distinguishing features there, um. And so, if you're a situation where you know your employer is saying, okay, happy to have you back, welcome back, mm-hmm. whether it's maternity leave or medical leave, but you're noticing some differences, uh, maybe some of your duties have been taken away or whatnot, you definitely want to get some legal advice, of course, before. Uh, saying no to it or before going back and then maybe changing your mind later and to say, you know, look, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, get that legal advice ASAP.
1: Hey, Alan, thanks for hanging in there for a moment. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm not too bad. Thanks. thanks for taking my call. You bet. What's um, up? I've been on long duration leave uh, just over five years, and there are some medications <clears throat> that are working that may be helping me. Uh, I may be recover enough to go back to work. With that being said, and me knowing that I'm still employed, if, which I know, I've talked to some people, apparently positions have changed and software and stuff has changed, so they may not want to take me back, but I don't know yet. But if they don't, and there's severance involved, can they just fly the flag of undue hardship immediately to pay less severance, or is that only if I've been uh, uh, terminated?
2: yeah, so so undue hardship would apply more so in the context of a company that's saying we can't actually have you back, uh, or we can have you back, but subject to some modifications being made because otherwise we would be experiencing undue hardship. So so that whole undue hardship would potentially give the employer an out to, Um, Not necessarily give the employee everything they want when they come back, but it is still a very high bar to meet. So anytime some employer cries undue hardship, immediately, you know, I look into it and I think, well, likelihood is probably not undue hardship. So that's number one. They they really have to show the undue hardship they'd be going through by trying to accommodate you. But um, at the end of the day, if they're going to let you go, undue hardship typically won't matter. The the only scenario where an employer can try and pay you less severance uh because of something along the lines of undue hardship is if the employer can somehow prove that the 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 agreement they had with you before you got injured is simply not possible, that that the contract between you and the employer has now become frustrated so so let's say for example I'm an individual who has a job and that job requires me to lift you know 50 pounds or more 90 percent of the day but then I get an injury to my back and my doctor says for the rest of my life I won't be able to lift anything more than 10 pounds well clearly I can't do that job I can't lift the 50 pounds and the prognosis is very clear as far as it's saying it's never gonna change the employer may may be able to say well we can't actually perform the contract we had intended on before you got injured and so now we're going to have to terminate the relationship due to what's called frustration of contract. And in that sort of limited scenario, an employer may be able to get away with paying less severance, but they have to show that the, 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 the job itself was impossible to perform or that most of the job was impossible to perform and that it was likely never going to improve. And it seems like in your case, you're saying that even though there's a five year absence, the prognosis is looking better, that there is the possibility of you coming back. So it seems like it'd be hard for the employer to then argue you can't do your job. And it also seems probably difficult for that employer to say there's undue hardship. So whether you're faced with either one or both of those situations, um, before engaging in any of, you know, intense conversations or communications with the company, you want to give us a call so we can kind of guide you through that process.
0: Okay, thank you. I was a fairly highly paid person as a supervisor, so I just uh, wondered if they try to fly that flag for money reasons, but thank you very you, much.
2: Yeah, no worries. And, that, and that's that may be another reason why they do that, because they realize maybe in one scenario, if there isn't frustration, you know, we only have to pay this guy six, seven months. But if we can't prove frustration, then we may have to pay this guy two years, and if they're looking at the dollars and cents and thinking, "Yeah, he's he's an expensive one," uh, that that might be a factor that persuades them or pushes them to kind of go down this path of either undue hardship or frustration. It's just something you need to be
1: mindful of. Appreciate the call, Alan. i will give you a number in a moment to reach out. To. I want to get to Joe before we break. Hey, Joe. Good morning. What's going on with you?
0: Good morning. How are you? Thanks for taking Excellent. my call. No worries. I've been working with the, my company for over twenty years. I'm a supervisor. And uh, the company lost some work, and, and my boss uh, came to me a couple of days ago and Said, said, ah, I'm going to have to cut your wages because I cannot afford, which is not true. I know exactly how much money he's making. Mm-hmm. Um, can he do that? But Like uh, cut my wages and, and, and give me only part-time work, work which I cannot make ends meet that. I'm like, how am I going to survive? On? You're already paying me peanuts. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to survive on eight hundred dollars every every two weeks? That's yeah, so can he do that?
2: So in general, they cannot cut your wages. Um, just curious, though, when you say cut wages, do you know how much they're they're say, su- suggesting they cut the wages by?
0: Well, I'm making thirteen hundred dollars every every two weeks. So I don't know. He didn't tell me how much he's going to cut. Okay. I still have more or less the same work that I had before.
2: Right, right. But even if everything is the same and the only difference is that your wages have been cut, that could still very easily be considered a constructive dismissal. You could very easily have grounds to say, you know, I don't agree to that. That's not what I signed up for. There's nothing I've signed or a contract saying you can do this to me. And I think that this represents a big cut. So that's not yeah. something I'm standing for. And as I say, you can kind of draw a line in the sand. And then at that point, the ball is going to be in the company's court. Are they going to say, well, too bad it's our way or the highway, in which case you may yeah. be able to go after them for severance? Or yeah. is something else going to happen maybe where they negotiate? And and just the point on the wages being cut and the degree of which, I think there's also a difference between someone, let's say, who's making $50,000 a year but then is being told they're only going to make 49000 and somebody who's making $50,000 a year and being told that they're going to be cut down to 40000 So, So yep. the degree of change when it comes to the dollars could be relevant, even though generally speaking it, it's, it's probably going to be a problem. Um, from a legal perspective, that may uh, sort of sway what your options are. But in general, it's just not acceptable, even if, again, it's in good faith or not. Um, and, and before saying, you know, yes, or just being silent on it and letting it go on and, and you know, having it just be condoned in a way, yeah, you're definitely going to want to get some advice, uh, maybe get some clarity as well from the employer as far as what exactly they're talking about, what kind of cuts are you talking about, and, and go from there.
1: Joe, really appreciate that call for you and Alan. Before you I'll give you the number to reach out as we get into a break here and get back to more of your calls, that would be one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca to reach out to Chris Cindy Timon. Have a further chat on
0: your own time. We continue with the Employment Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
1: And welcome to the show. If you're just joining us, Employment Law Show, Chris Justice is our lawyer uh, this morning. Samfiru Tamarkin, stlawyers.ca, or you want to reach out to Chris anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca, and the number when we're not doing the show, right? 1 821 5900. And there's a website called PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. That was built just to make you smarter about your employment rights as you continue on your your job life uh, for the next number of years, like all of us, right? Again, it's uh, PocketEmploymentLawyer.ca. While you are there, you will have access. Chris, right back to our topic of rights often overlooked by employees. These are incredibly uh, important, and you should know about them. And uh, the next one down the list um the right to refuse new employment contract from your current employer this happened a lot coming out of uh, covid for sure in the pandemic people hand these new contracts and they it's generally a matter of i don't worry about it. it's just a formality we just need to put pen to paper and uh we'll continue on as uh, as we always have not always the case if you take some time to send that over to you or at least read that contract right yeah absolutely i mean uh, as you say these are very important things that are
2: often overlooked and When people get given a contract uh, in the middle of their their tenure with a company, um, I'm sure most or a good chunk of those people think nothing of it, sign the contract, you know, I'm still getting paid, making sure I still get that vacation, those benefits, and then lo and behold, a year or two later down the line, they get let go and they get offered some bare minimum amount that the law says they're owed at minimum and they're thinking well hold up a minute i was with this company and you know uh, maybe another company as well for so many years and i thought i would be owed more but now they're only giving me what a week for every year two weeks for every year for my service like how can they get away with that and then you find out oh you signed a contract a year ago with this company um where they gave you a little bit of a signing bonus so that you got something out of it let's say uh, or maybe increased your wage or whatnot um, but then they, they they snuck in these termination provisions they snuck in these clauses that affect maybe your ability to to do things after your employment ends and uh, yeah then the advice is always going to be you know hindsights 2020 20, but you got it you should have got that uh, that contract reviewed you know and this this can apply in a situation where you know you're with the same employer the whole time or maybe you're with a company they get bought out and then the new company says we've got our own contracts we want you to sign. And, and, but don't worry, we'll continue all your seniority and everything and, and people still get caught up in that same problem where, uh, again, they want their job, they want to make sure they have the key fundamentals in place and then they sign this piece of paperwork, join company B after working for company A and then find out that the terms they agreed with uh, for company B are way less favorable than what they had with the, the previous company, which may not even had a contract at all. So it's it's something you want to kind of um, note yourself. If you're as soon as you're given a contract, even if you're being told, "Hey, look, it's just a formality. We just need you to sign it." Uh, you know, new management came on board and they've got some different policies, so just here, sign it, whatever. Um, don't sign it. You know, get a legal, uh, get a lawyer, uh, talk to a lawyer, get some legal advice um, because yeah, there are those little things hidden here and there that you may not think are much. But later on you're losing tens of thousands if not more in money for, for things like severance, for example.
1: Even if you do sign it, do they not have to give you something, give you a little, uh, a little taste of something to make it kind of binding in that way?
2: Yeah, yeah. so I mentioned you know there's there's uh, some examples where a company will give you a bit of a signing bonus. Uh, there, there are examples where a company may say uh, you know nothing at all is changing about your job'll we'll we give you a little you know 50 cent an hour pay raise or something like that. And, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount of consideration being given your way. It's not like a company has to give you a minimum of $10,000 in order for the contract to be considered enforceable. Um, they, they just need to give you something. So as long as there's something going your way and, and, you know, maybe something going their way as far as them putting in these extra little clauses and whatnot, then generally speaking, th- there's not going to be an issue as far as consideration. Uh, it still may not mean that the company can, uh, sort of hold you to what's in that contract because even if you do sign something and even if you get money, let's say, for signing it, uh, the way the contract is worded can be very important and the employer may not be able to rely on it even, you know, uh, withstanding everything that happened beforehand. So it's not the be all and end all, but uh, yeah, you definitely want to review a contract like this with a lawyer. Frankly, whether you're going into a job or you're getting something uh, in yeah. mid-duration, you know, always have it reviewed by a lawyer because uh, you never know, uh you know, what it could be saying exactly. And the language isn't necessarily going to be designed for you to understand it as a layperson, right? Um, you know, you got all this legal mumbo-jumbo that looks Big all time. well and good, and then the <sighs>
1: lawyer says, well, actually, no, you're, you're being screwed over by, by this language. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, the right to be accommodated at work if you have a disability or illness, and we'll, we'll usher the doctor in for this one too, right?
2: Yeah. So we spoke about this a little bit before when we were talking about uh, someone having the right to their same job once mm-hmm. they return from a leave and how, again, an employer's got to accommodate somebody while they're on that leave and also when they're ready to come back. And and yes, the doctor is a very important piece of this puzzle. Um, maybe you've got your family doctor you're talking to. Maybe your family doctor's referred you to a specialist, you know, a psychiatrist maybe. Uh, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, you know, maybe you're getting medications from pharmacies to help things. I mean, people could be dealing with a whole sort of number of treatment providers. Um, and if you've got the support from those treatment providers, whoever they are, um, you know, that's going to ultimately be one of the most powerful things in a case like this. You know, your employer's not going to be able to dictate what they think is reasonable as far as accommodations are concerned you know, the person that's known you for all the years, say the family uh, physician, uh, they're, they're going to be the one to dictate that. So if they say, you know, these are the restrictions, this is the prognosis, this is how long maybe these modifications need to be in place, or this is how long this person's going to gonna be off, um, that's what your employer's ultimately got to look at. And... There are scenarios where employers try to hire their own doctors, there are scenarios where employers sort of downplay what someone's family physician is saying or, or they just don't believe what this family physician is saying, maybe they think there's some bias and they just don't accept the, the accommodation request or they give the employee a hard time even in the face of all this medical support and that can be a huge issue for employers and something that employees need to be aware of. Um, so that support is key. Um, And again, the employers are going to still have this obligation to accommodate, even if you're somebody who's been off for many years. We just had the caller in a second ago say that he had been off work for, I think, five years, which is a very long time, relatively speaking. And, you know, a lot of people might think, well, how long as an employer do I have to just keep this job open? Well, yeah. if you're getting constant communication from the, from the employee and their doctor and they're saying that the prognosis, you know, isn't necessarily uh, all that bad and there's some, some progress being made, even if it's several years, you're, you as an employer are going to have to wait it out um, because otherwise jumping the gun too early could expose you again to human rights issues and severance on top of that.
1: I want to get Bob in quickly before we take a break, Bob? Thanks for hanging in there, for a Uh What's your question, pal? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, you bet. I recently, let go from a financial uh, financial institution, big one. Um, worked at uh, or am working on the severance package. They're they're offering like I was there sixteen years. They're offering eighteen months. Um, they're telling me my benefits, extended health benefits, uh, are not part of the package and will not be
0: extended through the 18-month period. My wife's got some health issues and it's a material uh, issue for me. Am I entitled to the extended health benefits through the duration, the 18-month severance?
2: Yeah, in general you are. First of all, the the number of months they've offered uh, relatively speaking compared to most packages I see uh, is pretty good. Uh, there may be some um, movement though. Uh, you know, Something like 18 to 20 months could be good uh, depending on what conditions are attached. But There often does become an issue where an employer will say, okay, on the one hand, we'll give you, you know, X number of months, but then you find out that they're only, you know, paying you maybe your base wages over that number of months, and that they're only continuing your benefits for, you know, a a fraction of those number of months, or they're not factoring in bonuses or commissions or pension or... You know, share uh, stock options, you know, restricted share units, like th- these kinds of things. And you're not really being made whole during that, yeah, you know, I'm, those I'm number of months.
1: On, yeah, they've got me covered off on that front. It's really just they're benefits. Their heels on this benefits issue. And I want to know, is it something that I, you know, have to push on is, I mean, it's material. Uh, yeah, no,
2: I think, I think number one, generally, it is something people are entitled to. Number two, if it's particularly important in your case, I think all the more reason to push back on it. Ultimately, if this were put in front of a judge, and let's say it took you, you know, a year and a half to find a job, uh, your employer maybe paid you some of the severance but gave you no benefits, that judge is gonna say you're owed something for benefits. So if somebody's owed four, five, six, ten, twelve, doesn't matter number of months, a court's gonna usually come down and say that should include benefits or payment in lieu of those benefits. But you wanna make sure you're made whole and you wanna absolutely pursue it, I think, in your particular case.
1: Well, I appreciate the call, pal. Got to slide into a quick break as we get out of here uh, for one final time. Before we come back for our last segment, here is that number again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 5900 To reach out to Chris after the show, and Employment Law Show continues, hang in there.
0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome back to it. Chris Justice from San Firu Tamarkin,
1: LLP. You want to reach out to Chris anytime when we're not doing this hour of radio. He's ready to talk to you with your employment law matters, and thats eight five five eight fifty nine hundred help at and the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. In the meantime, Chris, back to the topic of the day, and that is rights often overlooked by employees. And the fifth one down our list is the right to be free from reprisal from your employer. Maybe break down first uh, for those people who are not familiar with that particular term, what it means and what are the uh, the repercussions of that particular point are.
2: Yeah, so reprisal essentially means retaliation. So so if you're being retaliated against or punished in some way by your employer, by the company, uh, for bringing forward uh, a particular concern. You know, it could be uh, maybe you feel as though you're being harassed in the workplace. Maybe you feel there's discrimination in the workplace. Um, You know, there could be something unwelcome that's being sort of projected towards you that, that you don't want and you're addressing this concern with HR, let's say, as an example. Uh, the employer, even if the employer thinks that your concern is unfounded, there's no merit to it, that they don't think it constitutes discrimination or harassment, even in a situation like that, um, they can't take any negative action towards you. They can't punish, they can't retaliate, reprise against you for bringing forward that concern. And it's a very important part of the law because it, it, the theory is that it will allow people um, to be more open when it comes to these concerns without fear of this reprisal. So, so something is protected, uh, if employees are subjected to some form of reprisal, maybe they're let go for bringing forward a concern about someone high up in the company. Maybe they're, uh, as I say, punished in some way short of a termination for, for raising that concern. Um, that, that can be a huge problem for the company. The company could be seen as reprising against that individual. And um, you know that, again, could also open up a big can of worms as far as not only severance, but other bad faith forms of, of damages. Um, so, so hopefully that can empower people, or at least that again, that's the whole point of it to kind of come forward with their concerns. Um, you definitely don't want to be silent when it comes to concerns because then you just enable it potentially, or you give companies the, the ability to say, well, we didn't even know about it. So you definitely have to bring it to them as tough as it may be in a lot of cases, if you can. Um, and and then at that point, you know, they're going to have to seriously look into those concerns, investigate those concerns and make sure that something's done uh, and an outcome is reached, and and again, not have that individual then um, reprised or retaliated against.
1: And this is also a word to to the wives of employers as well. Before you jump the gun with the reprisal, make sure you got all your ducks in a row, and you you know that you're not doing it because the the repercussions could be could be quite painful, right? yeah yeah i mean even um you know again when it comes to
2: employers dismissing concerns maybe they say that they did an investigation into the concerns but they really didn't maybe they kind of worked backwards from the idea of oh this person is just not believable and then you know like as you say kind of maybe gathered all the evidence in a, in a faulty fashion in that sense mm-hmm. um and uh and yeah that that it's in and of itself could be a potential punishment because if you don't find that those concerns are valid um, you know, th- there could be some uh, certain emotions or feelings towards the individual, and that can be, you know, reflected in an all number of ways. Um, so so employers do need to be cautious. I mean, there could be different forms of punishment someone could be subjected right. to. There's more direct forms. There's more indirect forms. Uh, again, if you're someone going through this, you want to document it. You want to um, bring those concerns to the employer and, and probably be seeking some legal advice so that you know exactly how to communicate everything and so you're not um, you know, again, saying something or doing something that might end up hurting you down the road.
1: And with that, we are just about out of time. I want to follow up with Chris anytime on your own time. We'll give you that number and some contact information one more time before we uh, we bail out of here. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one Two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca through a quick email, and you can always use pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for access to the severance calculator. Information about what we talk about on the show, and contact, of course, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.